welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're again comparing property versus shares, this time from an equity or capital growth perspective. Now, uh, those of you who have been keeping up to date with the show will know last week we did a show about shares versus property from the point of view of yield. And then I was on Instagram and Elsie, long-time listener of the show, messages <laughs> me and says, now, Ed, I expected you to talk about equity. I said, sorry, Elsie, we hadn't done that. We've been saving it. Uh, so she's pulled me up on that. And what we've got today is an analysis from the, the increase in value of both property and shares. Now, what we're going to do is run through this case study and have a have a uh, chat back and forth about, about some of the limitations to, to the outcomes and conclusions that we talk about. So in my example today, we're going to assume that you're going to invest 100K, 100K in property and 100K in shares. Now, the shares are going to go up at 10% every year, the property at 5% every year, right? So the shares are going up at a high percentage amount every year. But as we all know, when you're investing in property, you're getting leverage. So you're going to put your 100K in, and then you're going to get an extra 400K from the bank. You're going to invest in a 500K property just to keep the numbers simple. So although property is going up at, at a slower rate, 5% versus 10%, you're getting more gain because you're investing with a much more valuable asset. So when you in the first year, when you get a 5% gain on a 500k property, that's 25 grand versus 10% on 100k of shares, that's 10 grand. So 25k versus 10k. But here's the thing. Eventually, because shares are going up at a higher percentage rate, they're going to overtake property eventually. And the big question that I wanted to answer was, at what point, in this very simple scenario with these, these kinds of assumptive growth rates, at what point would shares actually overtake property? At what point would it be a better investment? And the answer is, in 31 years. It would take 31 years for shares to catch up to the leverage effect. My entire life. You old. <laughs> and so I think that's really interesting for anybody who, who is investing in property or look making the decision about which one to do. And actually, to be honest, the answer is usually to do both. You invest in shares and property. But if you're just can be it very simple, if your time horizon is less is 30 years or less, you'd say, I'm going to invest in property. If your time horizon in is Longer than that, you'd say, I'm going to invest in shares. But Andrew, what are the limitations to this? Because yeah, so, of course, you're not just going to sit around for 31 years. Yeah. So another consideration or the first consideration that jumps into my mind is that this requires someone to have $100,000 to invest. And um, you know, I guess if someone's investing for their future and you know they're starting out when they're 30 and they're going to you know want their money later on when they're 60... Uh, um, and so they say, well, I'll invest in shares. They're going to have $100,000. Now, my guess is most 30-year-olds... If they've got a hundred grand, are spending it on a house for themselves, or they're spending it on kids, or all those kind of things. So, not a lot of people around the age bracket giving them enough time are going to have a lot of extra cash. What they might have is usable equity. So, if you've got a house and you've paid off half of the mortgage and you've got some usable equity in your house, you might be able to borrow a hundred percent of the investment property, doing twenty percent against your house. 
80% against the rental property uh, and you're away with no money down. And that's probably true for most of our clients. Most of our clients are using money in their uh, usable equity in their own house or usable equity in existing rental properties. And so therefore, I, I think that re it's realistically, un it's unlikely that uh, many people within, with enough time horizon, as he puts it, uh, are going to be doing this. And so probably, you know, if you are investing in shares, you might just do that through your KiwiSaver. And, and that's where, you know, you, you're at least getting your money going in, the government's money going in, and your employer's money going in. Uh, the other, the other thought that I thought, uh, the other consideration that I had is, if you're building up some equity in a in a rental property, it's very unlikely after 31 years that you haven't gone. This is going well. I'll do it again. So let's say in um, five years or ten years, you've got enough usable equity in that property to go and do that again, which is highly probable. And you might be able to do it with two properties the next time, or three properties the next time. And so therefore, you're getting growth on another asset. And so then, of course, if you if you plotted along, say five rental properties from that initial property's usable equity, and then and then having the um, cumulative growth of the additional properties from there, you would be significant better off. The other thing it actually um, that you might be able to answer for me is we don't we're not factoring in the cash flow of this um, but but I've, I've, we've covered the cash flow in the last episode right? That's right so we're not factoring in the amount of money come, coming off it. I mean the one thing that I would say is you probably could uh, refinance your own home and if you're going to take 100k out uh, in order to purchase a rental property you could do that theoretically for shares. The issue you're going to come across though is that because dividends are so sporadic you're probably Probably going to have trouble meeting your mortgage payments versus a rental property where your rent's coming in every week or fortnight and you use that to cover your, your mortgage payments. So it, it's, it's a bit of a fringe scenario, but theoretically possible. And that actually leads on to uh, my final point was actually that with shares, um, because you've got a sporadic income, if you're hoping to you know live off that rental income, uh, it's far more consistent. I think we covered that in the last show where we were talking about you know if you, if you are retired and you're wanting to uh, get a return on your investment, the great thing with a number of properties is that rental incomes, I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but it's pretty pretty consistent. Uh, and, and there's always a tenant at a price. So even if even if you bought it in Queenstown and uh, and COVID had affected a lot of the rental market, as we've seen at the moment, you're still getting some money. So most people are getting 80 cents on the dollar at there at the moment for a, for a long-term rental. So it's not the end of the world. Whereas with something like shares, if you have a, um, a freeze on, on the dividends, like Air New Zealand for the next, say, three years, that could could be a real problem for you. And I think what this really shows as well is just the, the wonder that is leverage, the wonder that is being <laughs> able to get an extra 80% uh, of the purchase price of an asset from the bank and then paying them interest but keeping all of the capital gain. The fact that you can have an asset that's going up at half the rate of the alternative and yet it still wins for 31 years or 30 years before the higher growth asset shares in this case actually takes over. And I think it is really important though to run an analysis like this and honestly say at some point in this very structured theoretical scenario, shares would overtake property and that would be at one point in the future Year 31. And I think that's really important to just acknowledge that and say that that is the case as well. Now, of course, uh, we're not saying invest in one or the other. It's not one or the other. We should have a mixed portfolio that includes KiwiSaver shares, 
property, term deposits, well, maybe not term deposits at the moment, uh, but a wide array of, of investments within there to, to help us build our wealth. Of course, not in personalised financial advice, just general rules of thumb with how to build a property portfolio. But hey, look, uh, Andrew, let's wrap it up there. Now, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And if you want to meet Andrew and I and be part of this podcast, why not come along to our live podcast recording? We're coming to Christchurch, we're coming to Wellington, we're coming to Auckland mid-September. And we're going to do a live podcast recording as well as answer some questions. We've got some fun things in store as well that uh, we're kind of planning. We're going to cover all the food, the drinks. It's going to be absolutely free. So I'm going to drop a link into the show notes. So tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll be able to click that link and sign up for that. Or you can just go to opispartners.co.nz slash pod event. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. 